Welcome to Searchlight, a survey through Scripture with Pastor John Corson. It is our desire to bring you a systematic study of the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, book by book. Are you tired of your sin? Have you been dealing with your sin for so long that you just want to scream? Then go ahead and scream, or rather, cry out to God. That is what we see Israel doing in our story in Judges chapter 3. We began a verse-by-verse study of this chapter on our last program and saw that it was an important picture for us regarding our sin. John explained that we almost never collapse into sin, but like a slow leak, we just keep moving lower and lower. We see this illustrated by Israel, who first dwelt with sin, then became linked to sin, then became like their sin. As we join John today, he is beginning to describe how to get out of our sin, and it begins by crying out to the Lord with passion. Here now is Pastor John. I think there's far too much lethargy and sleepiness in prayer. I think there's far too much laziness and nonchalance in my own prayer. The effectual, fervent prayer, effectual, fervent prayer, effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And as I've taught, as we've talked, Elijah was the man being alluded to by James as an effectual, fervent prayer who was a man of like passions, just like you and me, but he prayed with passion. He put his head between his knees when he was praying for rain because there was a drought in the land. And he prayed over and over again seven times. Why his head between his knees? Because it's the position of birthing in that culture in those days. A woman would put her head between her knees in that way. And there's something being birthed by Elijah that day laboring once and again and a third time and four, five, six, seven. He's pushing something through. He's working something out. Something is being birthed. And the Lord says, I like that. In a world that is plagued by mediocrity, apathy, and laziness, it's good to see a man like Elijah, God would say, I believe, who is willing to labor And to be a bigger person, to break out of sleepiness and say, it's dry. There needs to be rain. How about in your soul? How about in mine? How about in our community, our family, our country, our fellowship? Oh, would to the Lord he would give to us people that would pray with energy and would be stretched in this, laboring in intercession. So much more, I believe, could and would happen. Well, they finally cry to the Lord, and the Lord raised up a deliverer whose name was Othniel. 
the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord, verse 10, came upon him. And he judged or delivered Israel. Remember, these judges, they're not wearing judicial robes and sitting behind an oak bench with a gavel in their hand. The word judge in Old Testament times in this particular book means a deliverer, setting free. Well, this is the judge Othniel. He would be raised up as the people cried out. He would be God's man to set them free. And notice what happened. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. Notice that. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. That's the key. Has the spirit of the Lord come upon you, come upon us, come upon me? Oh, the spirit of God is in you. If you're a believer, and I trust that you all are, the spirit of the Lord resides in you, but has the spirit of God come upon you? Jesus breathed on his disciples, receive ye the Holy Spirit. And indeed, when he breathed on them after he had died and resurrected from the dead, the Spirit came within them. But then he said, now go and wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes upon you. And you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you to be my witnesses. You see, it's so important That we don't simply have the Holy Spirit in us, that's good. But that we also ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit upon us. That we might see deliverance. That we might see things loosened up and set free and made right in our own lives, in our families, in our community. You see. It says here, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. How will will it come upon you? How does it come upon me when we too cry out and say, Father, I need the power of the Spirit. I'm tired of being in bondage. I'm tired of the drought within and the bondage of people round about me. I want to be filled with you and used by you for your glory, Lord. And Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost, what? To them that ask, Luke eleven thirteen. Well, Othniel was a guy that had the Spirit of the Lord come upon him. And he judged Israel, went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cush-shan-rish-athaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And the land, verse 11, had rest 40 years, and Othniel died. So here's a man, Othniel, that had a singular job to do. That is, hey, to see his generation set free from oppression. The Spirit of God came upon him. He did that, and the land rested for 40 years. How I want to see the Spirit of God come upon me so that those that are with me, my family, and people I'm linked to, in the church, you see, might be set free. That they might be at rest. That there might be peace. For 40 years. Well then, verse 12, the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon. We talked about him Sunday. If you weren't here, pick up the tape. The only guy in the Bible called a very fat man. He is, just like his name says, shaped like an egg. We're not talking heavy. We're not talking obese. We're talking planetary. We're talking this guy made Jabba the Hutt 
looked like Jenny Craig. I mean, he was huge. So we're not talking about an overweight guy. We're talking about somebody unbelievably grande, you see. And, And this guy, Eglon, was allowed to be raised up by the Lord to be, again, a spanking stick, a chastening rod, because God's children once again did evil in the sight of him. So Eglon, verse 13, gathered unto him the children of Ammon. The Ammonites were the descendants of Lot through Lot's incestuous affair with his daughter. Remember that story? How Lot was in a cave having fled Sodom. And his daughters were worried, saying, Oh, now we'll never have children. The city has been destroyed. There's no man around. Let's get our dad drunk and have him impregnate us in his drunken state, these two daughters of Lot. And that's what happened. And the first child was Ammon, and the second child was Moab, or I might have that reversed, but Moab and Ammon were both the descendants of Lot and his incestuous relationships with his two daughters, you see. So that's why the Moabites, Eglon is a Moabite, and the Ammonites are teaming up here. With a third group, and that is the Amalekites, verse 13 goes on to say. They're descendants of Esau. All that's to say all three of these nations have their roots in carnality, sin, and iniquity. And they team together. And they are launching now uh, an invasion against Israel. So they went, verse 13 goes on to say, and smote Israel, spanked them. And possess the city of palm trees. The city of palm trees is Jericho. Why Jericho? Because Jericho was the place where fruits and vegetables grew prolifically. Man, it was food for less, if you would. And Eglon was a very fat guy. And he looked at that and said, that's what I want to take. Man, there's Big Macs and fries and milkshakes. That's what I want. Jericho. So they smote the city of Jericho, this city of Israel. And they served him, verse 14, 18 long years. But when the children of Israel cried, there it is again, 18 years of sort of lethargy, I'm sure they prayed. I'm sure they talked to each other about, we got to get free from Eglon somehow. He's oppressing us. But they weren't in that place of desperation. See, again. It's when they cried to the Lord, when there was energy expended, when lethargy was shaken off, that's when the Lord really hearkened to them, see, and raised up a deliverer. He raised them up a deliverer whose name was Ehud. Ehud, his name means united. By the way, Ehud Barak, the last prime minister before Ariel Sharon, In Israel, in our day, in these days, his name means united, but he was the one that allowed the land to be divided. But be that as it may, Ehud's name means united, and he was a Benjamite, which means son of my what, gang? Right hand. Right on. Exactly. But the problem was he was a man left-handed, as we pointed out Sunday, It was considered to be in those days a curse if you were a southpaw. The right hand speaks of authority, prowess, and ability. The left hand, well, that speaks of kind of, you know, something's wrong with you, buddy, if you're left-handed. 
It could be that he was left-handed being born that way, or it could be, the text indicates equally possible, his right hand was handicapped. Consequently, his right hand didn't work. He was handicapped. So he learned to use his left hand. Well, by him, verse 15 goes on to say, they sent a present to Eglon to appease Eglon. Always a bad thing to do, to try and appease that which is oppressing you. Eglon, this great big giant job of the hut character, was demanding his way over the people of Israel day after day, oppressing, taxing, dominating. And what did they do? They sent a present to him. Same thing that can happen to you and me. Well, let's just feed our oppression. One more toke, one more touch, one more time. Just a little bit here, a little sip there. And maybe that will satisfy the big guy within me that is bringing about this oppression, this problem. Always a dumb thing to do. Always dumb to feed the enemy, to feed the Eglon, because all you're doing is making him fatter. And it'll be even a bigger problem. It'll be even heavier, you see. Well, they fed him, or they sent a present, probably food, but some kind of a gift to appease him. But, verse 16, Ehud made him a dagger which had two edges of a cubit length, 18 inches. And he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. And he brought the present to Eglon. Eglon was a very fat man. And verse 18, when they had made an end to offering the present, he sent the people away. By the way, anytime you are trying to appease the enemy, you'll always be sent away. Remember that. Ehud looks at those that brought those gifts. He was with them. But he knew that wasn't the answer, to appease the big guy, to satisfy the the oppressor. Watch out for that. The Lord will send you, send me, send us away from being useful for his purposes if we think the key is compromise, if we think the key is feeding the big guy. And if you watch cable TV tonight, remember this story. Who are you feeding? And if you feed the enemy, if that's what you choose to do, if that's my choice, if that's where we go, just know this. You'll be sent away too. Not in condemnation, but it's just the reality of the situation. Not usable. So those that brought this present, those that did that thing, verse 15, by the group that came and gave a present to him, Ehud was there with him, but Ehud knew that that wasn't the key. They were sent away. But Ehud, verse 19 himself, now Ehud turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal, and he said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king. And the king said, keep silent, okay. He came back, Ehud. He sent them away, the appeasers. And he went back with this sword that was girded under his garments. And I have a secret message for you, king. And the king said, oh, 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 keep silent. And all that stood by him went out from him. And Ehud, verse 20, came unto him. He was sitting in a summer parlor, an Aliyah, actually, in the Hebrew, means going up on the top of the house. They would have these summer parlors, rooms that were made of lattice that allowed the breeze to go through. It would be cooler in the evening, you see. No air conditioning back then. The houses would get stuffy and hot 
unbearably so. So you'd have these uh, summer parlors, these alias, these going up, and you would sit there in the cool of the evening to cool down, to cool off, you see. So he's there. Eglon is up there. Ehud says in verse 20, I have a message from God unto thee. And Eglon said, a message from God? And he rose out of his seat. Ehud then, verse 21, put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And here we see a key, a clue of why it's mentioned here in our story he was left-handed. Because, you see, in those days, the secret service agents around the kings would sometimes grow a little bit lax or lazy and would just frisk the left side of men to see if there was weapons under their garments because men are right-handed and you draw across your body. But in this case, he's a lefty. Maybe he's even handicapped. And they didn't frisk him on his right thigh. They didn't realize that this guy was a lefty or would have weaponry there. And it must have hit him like a bolt of lightning. Hey, this is the reason why I'm born as a lefty or was allowed to be handicapped. Lord, you didn't make a mistake, even though I'm a Benjamite, son of my right hand, and I'm a lefty. But now I see, Lord, as he snuck through the secret service agents that were around Eglon in those days, he's in. Yeah, I got it, Lord. God does not make a mistake. Psalm 139 tells you and me that when you were, when I was, when we were in our mother's belly, we were being put together in an exacting kind of way with your personality or lack of it with my intelligence or void of it, or whatever it might be, tall, short, skinny, bigger, whatever. Listen, the Lord made you, made me exactly the way he wanted us to be. We might say, well, why am I this way? How come I'm not like her? Or why aren't I like him? But in reality, God has a specific job for you to do that can be done by no other. When you get to heaven, when I stand before our Lord, he's not going to say, why weren't you more like Billy Graham? or Chuck Swindoll, or Greg Laurie, or whoever it might be. What he is going to say is, why weren't you more like you? Why weren't you just who I made you to be? Why didn't you just realize I made you the way I wanted you to be, and you tried to emulate or imitate him or her instead of just being you, you see God made you. God made Ehud in an exact way, a lefty. And now, that day, he draws the sword from his right thigh, from under his garments, and he thrust it into Eglon's belly. Verse 22, the half, the handle, also went in about 15 inches. So the blade, 18 inches. The handle, another 15 inches approximately. The whole thing goes in so that Ehud could not draw the dagger out of Eglon's belly. I like this story. I really do. He takes this sword from under his garments to deal with the oppressor, the problem, the heavyweight deal, you see. David declared, how shall a young man cleanse his ways? And he answers, by taking heed to the word, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Because the word, Hebrews 4 says, is quick and powerful, sharper than any what? Two-edged sword. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is, Paul says, the Word of God. This is the Word. What do you do? You hide it under your garments. You hide it in your heart. And you pull it out like Jesus did when he was attacked by Satan, by the oppressor, by that 
heavyweight from hell, Satan himself. Jesus quoted the scriptures once, twice, thrice, for every temptation that was sent his way. The oppressor came to him that day, and Jesus unsheathed the sword. It was hidden in his heart, and he beat back the enemy successfully. The sword, it's the key. This is what this story is about. To overcome the heavyweight problems, get in the word, meditate therein day and night, put it in your heart, memorize parts. Go through the same sections over and over, go from chapter to chapter, book to book, from cover to cover. Not simply going through the Bible, but the Bible is going through you, that's the key. And you can pull it out, you see. And that's what Ehud does here. And it says, he put this sword in the guy's belly and the dirt came out. The guts, the entrails, the dirt. The sword goes in and the dirt comes out. The sword goes in and the dirt comes out. The sword goes in and the dirt comes. Now you are clean, Jesus said, through the word which I have spoken. Are you knowledgeable of the word? Are you a student of the scriptures? Certainly you are. You're here tonight and I commend you for that. But to the degree that I allow the word to go in me will be the degree that the dirt comes out of me. The word goes in and the dirt will jaunt, you might say. I know you, and I see lots of problems. True, you're right. And you've been in the word for years, right? Well, how do you explain that? You wouldn't believe how rotten I would be You wouldn't believe how bad I would be. You wouldn't believe the jerk. If you think I'm an idiot now, you wouldn't even believe what I would be or where I would be if the word wasn't going through me. By the way, the same thing's true for most of you. See, we can say, well, how come I, you know, you're doing this or I, 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 I saw you do that or say that or whatever. That's inconsistent. True, you're right. But my goodness, we're never going to know, tell heaven, what it would have been like had we not had the word going through us and working in us. We have problems, it's true, but let me tell you something. It's nothing compared to what it would be like if we didn't have the word going through us regularly. The sword goes in and the dirt does come out. Read your Bible and pray every single day. Read your Bible and pray every single day. You unsheath the sword. Man, I know I talked on this Sunday. One more word of exhortation. It is the key. It is the singular key. Jesus said, the words which I speak are spirit and life. If you want to be spirit-filled and experience abundant life, you become committed to the word, a student of the word, meditate in the word, memorize chunks of the word. He did that. He hid the word, the sword, drew it out, thrust it in, and the oppressor went down. Well, the story continues. Then, after the dirt came out and Eglon fell down, Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor, Upon him and locked them. And they tarried, verse 25, till they were ashamed. Man, what's taking him so long? I mean, I know he's a big guy and he eats a lot, but come on. And they opened the door, and behold, their Lord was fallen down dead on the earth. 
Isn't that a great picture? This is how we deal with our sin. This is how we kill it, by the Word of God. It's such a key. Again, Pastor John devoted an entire teaching to this story. We recently aired it here on Searchlight, but if you missed it, you can listen to it from the website. The teaching is called, The Word Goes In and the Dirt Comes Out. This teaching is also available on the Searchlight website at johncorson.com. You will also find on the website Pastor John's books and other Bible study resources. Again, the address of the website is johncorson.com. That's J-O-N-C-O-U-R-S-O-N.com. The Searchlight radio program is available as a podcast. This means that you can download the program to your mobile phone, computer, tablet, or other mobile device and listen to it at your convenience. For complete information, please check out the podcast page on the Searchlight website at johncorson.com. Searchlight is a listener-supported ministry. We appreciate your prayers and support. May the Lord richly bless you.